Boom. Yeah, okay, so I wanna get right into it, basically, because there's so much to talk about, and we only have but so much time today, anyhow. So I wanna right. talk about addiction today, and it's exciting and scary to talk about because it can be a bit of a vulnerable thing to talk about addiction, but I think it's something that I wish more people actually talked about. So I'm hoping that us talking about it will help other people talk about it. And maybe this will give people tools about how to talk about it. And we're probably going to mess up a couple times, but that's okay. Everybody messes up. If you have any feedback, feel free to message us because we haven't really gotten that much messages or feedback from people. So that's another reason why I'm not too worried about it. But once again, I think it'd be a really fun topic to talk about. And I think it is something that really needs to be talked about when we're talking about transformations and people trying to change themselves and people trying to be better versions of themselves because kind of like the elephant in the room a lot of times and nobody wants to talk about it because when you talk about it, there's a lot of other baggage that comes with talking about it. So that's the stage. There you go. <laughs> that's the- All right. That's the stage. So there's two things I want to like put on the stage here at the beginning is one thing obviously is that we're going to pull a lot of this from you. So you have your a good master's education. So you learn probably a lot about this stuff. And then we're also going to pull a lot from our experience. Now we are not professionals in addiction or anything like that. So like, obviously that's like a forewarning for all of our episodes. We are just guys talking about what we've experienced and what we've seen in life and what we've thought about. And, uh, and number two, what you said about vulnerability and stuff. It's interesting, man, because when we first started chatting about uh, like having a podcast, like maybe two or three years ago now, this was what we wanted to talk about like a lot more. And we've talked about it in ways that I think that we're going to start talking about soon because we talk a lot about habits in a lot of our episodes. Um, So we've danced around addiction a lot. um, And I'm I'm excited to give this a try. And we might try a couple of times, but I think this is I'm excited about this episode. Yeah. And that's exactly it. Because we talk about habits so much. And because a lot of my education is in habit and behavioral health and health behavior education. I think it's really useful to know when you're learning about a topic such as habits, what the extremes are at one end of the spectrum and at the other end of the spectrum. So in terms of habit, having like good habits, for example, you're on the end of the spectrum that's more, you're more likely that you're in a routine, but that routine isn't negatively impacting the rest of your life and the quality of your life in broad terms. But you can go too far with the habit into an addiction, for example. Uh, And then the other end of that spectrum is like a malaise and a non-routine and a chaotic lifestyle, which some people actually thrive in, for example, or that's the lifestyle that they want to live in for example, as well. And you could possibly, I bet you some people would argue even the addictive phase might be actually something that one person sees as negative and another person sees as positive. Now, is there a bridge? Like when you're going from good habits to bad habits to addiction now, mm -hmm. is there like a bridge from a bad habit to addiction that you have to cross or where to, if you're thinking about it on a scale, where, like where on the scale would addiction, like, would it be on the same? So this is like a, it's like a U shaped curve. A lot of times when you look at the data gets represented, 
Um, that's why at uh, Horseshoe Paradox mm -hmm. is similar to this, where that's why at the ends of the horseshoe, you get, you get similar negative propensities, I guess. And then at the bottom of the horseshoe, at the dip there, you get like low negative outcome, but a good rate of repetition. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think feel like I need a whiteboard. Good. I feel like I need a whiteboard to, but like habits and good routine have a low risk, um, moderate reward, basically. Okay. Okay. Um, versus the other ends of the spectrum, could be they end up being almost high risk, um, high re they high reward, basically on both ends of the spectrum. And it could be a low reward, right? In terms of bad habits, or are you talking about like how your body would adapt to it? Because one thing oh, I that just I was mean in terms of perception, I just mean in yeah. terms of perception, just that's okay. a good thing to, to talk about too. So a lot of this is, I think of this in terms of the perception of the people in the habit or taking a drug, for example, or just not doing anything. I wouldn't say you'd see as many people not doing anything even when you think someone's not doing anything most mm -hmm. of the time they're doing something it's just something that's less less societally incentivized i would say right <clears throat> yeah but okay i feel like i'm going into the weeds a little too much with that though i think what help would help people the most is talking about things like food addictions exercise addictions and then maybe you could get into a little bit of drug addiction because honestly, if you drink coffee, I doubt you're drinking it in a moderate way. Right. When I, like my first assumption, but I think it's getting better with people. I think people are moderating their coffee intake more nowadays. So I think the trend is getting better, but I would say, and I would say caffeine and coffee is, is a mild drug. Because yeah, dude, there's some interesting things. So I, what I saw about coffee that so when I was reading about this over the past week, I saw a statement about coffee. And it was basically like, they were talking that coffee was a mildly addictive. Mm -hmm. And and I think about my personal experience about different addictions. And so I'm going to go down this rabbit hole a little bit. And so with coffee, I feel addicted to coffee. Or I, and so I don't like that word addicted and I want to get into that a little bit. But so when I have coffee, I feel something after, right? And you feel that like, like mental want that you can't describe to yeah. have a little bit more. Right? Yeah. So there, and, an addiction, and I, this is a good time to point out, um, there's physical addiction and there's psychological addiction and they do interplay with each other. Some things are more physical and less mental and some things are more mental and less physical. Um, right. Coffee kind of hits both of those, honestly. Right. Because right. Phys physically, it downregulates your body's ability to feel tired. And mentally, people do it, usually consume it in a very ritualistic manner that tells their brain that you want this. And if you don't get it, you're going to be more tired very soon. Right. Because the statement it said, and like it said that coffee was was not addicted was not like was on the mild scale mm -hmm. and when i think about addiction i know that something like coffee like i feel it like i feel it a lot and it and if you don't have it for a couple of days it hurts your body right because it's a physical dependence i think that there it has something to do with this social awareness of the masses 
that we are always talking about coffee. We're thinking about it. We're a hundred percent aware of it all the time. So we know that it's bad for us and we drink it. But so when we want to drink a little bit less coffee, because everyone kind of gets like that feeling sometimes, then because we're so aware, I think we have this mental ability to leap over the fact that it is physically addictive because, okay, I've been addicted to a few things and coffee, uh, tobacco, um, and guess what? Junk food, number three, that we haven't even talked about. Those three things can get, I've experienced the same like withdrawal symptoms of like extreme withdrawal, like where like my heart is pumping and I like start sweating and stuff like that from those three things. And it leads me down to this thought process of that the more aware we are of our addictions, um, like basically just the easier it is to overcome. And right. that's why I don't like using addictions. I like to just use them like be as behavior. Um, right. But also, I don't like to lightly say that because I know that there are people like who really follow that like term addiction and I am an addict and, and I'm fine with however you want to frame it around yourself. Um, but like from me having that framework, I know I'm just talking here, I, like from me having that framework when I was younger to now, I feel like I'm much freer when it comes to all of my behaviors. And I can see this like when it comes to exercise, food, drink, substance, or anything like that. Um, that was just my little spiel. I want to get the mindset where I'm going and how I'm thinking about addiction or behavior, um, because I think changing that mindset is huge. That made me think about a lot of things, honestly. So like, that was, I think that's really useful. So let's try and define addiction and, and- I don't think we're going to do a great job at it, but I think it's going to be useful (laughs) to think of it this way. And really, it is a behavior. It's in the category of behavior. Okay. And then there's subcategory addiction. Okay. Um, And then addiction really to place that category on someone's behavior it's one part external and one part internal. And what I mean by that is someone can consider themselves an addict and society can consider them an addict. Okay. Or someone can consider themselves not an addict and society considers them an addict. Okay. And then on who you're talking to. Okay. But generally speaking, you would assume that an addictive behavior has negative consequences for that person. Okay. That's really it. So you could say addiction is a behavioral pattern that produces negative consequences over the long term for somebody. Okay. Like Very that. true. Okay. So then if you, then you have like a four, this is where, so this is where you have to have a high school level of, education because once you start splitting things into not binary but like even just four different dimensions we have four different dimensions now about (laughs) addiction okay we have internal external okay and then we have like repetitive repeating a behavior like for positive reason with positive consequences repeating a behavior with negative consequences Okay. I'm already having a hard time saying this in words in a way that I think it'll translate. 
So a lot, and the and that's I think a big part of the problem because people want to just put it in a good or bad category. Okay, and there's and then, a lot more nuance about addiction and about like behaviors that have negative repercussions. Basically, yeah, that's really true. It can always change. I like to sometimes think about it at experience points, right? So let's say you you're 18 years old and you wake up and let's say you are feeling good and you your mind is a little crazy and you can you're you're open to change, right? Uh, and then you're at that part of your life, and so you wake up and say you're a, and this is how I think about it. Like your addiction scale is at 60, percent right? Like how then, how likely are you to get addicted to something? Is that your addiction scale? Yes. Let's say, let's say how much of a, uh, if, if you were to label someone an addict or not an addict and you wake up and you're at 0%, right? Okay. And so then you go out throughout your day and something negative happens to you. And uh, now you go from zero to 5%, right? right. And, and then now you're, you go to an environment that is now more open to maybe some kind of addiction, addictive behaviors or something like that. So now my percent, so say a bar, right? So, so now I go into a bar and that's just for me, everyone has different addictions or, or that's just for this example. You go mm -hmm. into a bar and then now you go from 10% to 30%. Mm -hmm. Now you hang out with your best friends right? Mm -hmm. Like your boys, like your, your favorite friends. And now your addiction goes from 30% to 50%. Now your boys meet up with the girls. And mm -hmm. so now you go from 50% to 70% because all this- right. And that's that interplay. That's that interplay between the internal and the external. So it's this weird. So I think addiction, I just think there's so much to it when it comes to the mental and your environment. Because I've thought about it just so much like how you get caught up in in these addictions and I, how I've always felt about them when I look back is that I never am addicted tomorrow. It's just like mm -hmm. over time, these things happen. And that's why I think it's really useful to think about it like a behavioral pattern. Okay. But it's yeah. one of the harder behavioral patterns to, to change basically. Um, and it's not always, for example, coffee. It's not like I'm, trying to tell people or myself to stop drinking coffee. It's, it's, I'm not trying to be abstinent a lot of times with a behavior pattern that can be addictive. You know, almost, right. you're almost at more risk and people have stories about other behavior patterns that if they're too abstinent with, they're going to go in the opposite direction, basically, eventually, or they're going to get exposed to that opposite direction and they're going to have, they're not going to be inoculated at all in any way to to behave in a way that is just binary like yes or no and they're just going to choose yes eventually you know you like cutting off cold turkey so that's the point like you need nuance in this conversation okay to actually get to empower yourself to make the decisions and to change your behavior and not just no or yes with these things because if you go no or yes and you're going to be in an environment, an external environment that is influential, then you're not going to be prepared. You're just not. Okay. Now we talked about this on a previous episode. At that very beginning part of your choice, though, you need to make a clear conscientious choice, right? If you like, so I know you want to say like, no or yes, right? There's that black or white. And we, I know we're not, we don't want to live on that scale. 
But at, do you need to say at some point, like, I choose to not be yes or no, I choose to not be black and white, but I need to choose well, as soon as you go from that to being on a scale, it's like you're on two different things. So it's like you have to, you almost have to make that first choice yes, all right, to get to hop onto that scale. And then once you're on that scale, then it's, that, now it's like a new life. Now it's like you live this new life of, wait, I'm in control of this scale. I understand my scale. I can see when I'm more likely to maybe fall into these bad habits uh, and then choose or create an environment that uh, will help you in the future and you know, help you grow. And I think you need an actual mode of operation, like a modus operandi. operandi. I think you need a mode, you need to be in a mode of operation that when decisions get passed through your mind, you have a template, is a usually successful template. And I think it's harder for people who don't get that template or get the wrong template, like people who grew up in families with addiction for example, or people who are never exposed to addiction and then they move into an environment that has a lot of addictive behavioral patterns. And all those have subtleties too, right? Because there's that old saying where oh, there's the, the there's a father who has two sons and then uh, the, the father is an alcoholic and, and one son grows up and uh, watches his dad the whole time and decides that he will never drink a day in his life. And then the other son will become the same thing. And it's just funny how this addiction kind of changes in every single person, even being in the same environment, um, because environment's only a part of the whole puzzle. I think that's natural. What you just said there, though, that story, I think that's just a story about the natural occurrence of how, how, how that whole horseshoe paradox works, basically. So like once you could see this in political parties, nowadays okay? <laughs> go to one extreme of a political party and go to the other extreme of a political party and then look at how tyrannical they are in enforcing their uh, beliefs right very similar <laughs> basically okay once like when you get to both ends of the spectrum when it comes to behaviors like extreme behaviors basically you're gonna mm -hmm. have you're gonna have um, people who copy what you do because it rewards them in some way they have right. they have a square hole for that square peg and it just <laughs> bam square peg square square hole perfect okay and other people and it's gonna other people are going to depending on how how sustainable that behavior is if it kills every if it kills like the first generation it's not gonna it's not gonna last very long but if it keeps people alive and it hits enough holes It'll last long enough, but if it's like, if it's starting to break down or, or if the, there's cracks in the, the armor, so to speak, then you're going to see people who all they have to do is do the opposite, just do the opposite. And they might actually get some of their needs fulfilled just by doing the opposite. Basically, that's how like a lot of things for me with being overweight, basically, where I didn't have any skinny people around me at all. Oh, yeah. I mean, like when I say, I mean like regular weight people, <laughs> like right. a lot of times around me and like hung out with heavy friends, hung out with heavy family, hung out. And there's a certain point where if I just do the opposite, I get results, but you also, yeah. have, you have to want to do that too. 
So there has to be, and that want has to come from a need not being fulfilled a lot of times. <clears throat> yeah, that's interesting. So should we talk about the food, uh, like food and weight and stuff like that a little bit? And then, yeah, okay, okay. What kind of need? So what kind of needs do you need to fulfill for that? There's four mean? big needs in human beings. You know about the four big needs? Have we talked about the four big needs on the podcast? I think we did in our last, uh, like our last pod, the need athlete. Why don't you enlighten us today, Mike? Okay, okay. Some people call them the four Fs. Okay. Okay, so they're they're fight. These are the motivations for our actions at a primal level. Okay, there's fight. There's flight. There's feed, and there's fornicate. <laughs> wondering where you're going with that one yeah <laughs> i like to give a little extra pause on that last one <laughs> but but the last one actually you want to think of uh, deep relationships more so i would say yeah but those deep relationships in a social animal equate to fornicate because that's what makes the species this is what makes the species survive these are survival right. needs and not like Maslow's hierarchy, more if this doesn't happen, the species doesn't survive. Like evolutionary right, right. That, needs. It's like a primal drive for all animals. It just ha it has to happen or your species doesn't survive, okay? Right. All right. Um, so that's deep in our processing, basically, okay? Yeah. So there's needs that if those aren't met, the processing starts to get a little wonky. Okay. And sometimes it's all right. You know, like you drive your car and the windshield wipers don't always work or whatever. It could be a little thing like that. You, know, you may not even notice it. It might be like the sun, the sunroof doesn't work, but you never use the sunroof. So who cares? Yeah. Stuff like that. It could be that. Okay. So for mm -hmm. some people, it doesn't matter. But when it comes to addictive behaviors, I think it's really useful to know that when it comes to food, for example, that's one of those ones that like is Deep, deep in your physical, neurological psyche. That's where the hairs cross, basically. Right. Yeah, you have to eat. <laughs> okay, and broader part of that whole feed is it's not just it's not just calories in your mouth. It's put calories and nutrients in your mouth, you know, and minerals and the things that make your body able to do the things it needs to do. And some people are sitting all day and. They get, they have a kid and nature, <laughs> nature continues basically, but then they die early of metabolic disease. And so we're getting, but we're getting to the state where we're starting to have, I think, multi-generational issues, honestly, but that's a whole, that's a whole other thing basically. Yes. And, and if you but just it's part of it, but it's part of it though, right? It like, like it can definitely influence your environmental habits from an early age if it's passed down from generation to generation. Oh, I mean, it's all related. Yeah. So my whole point in that is that when you're trying to affect your food behaviors or your, like your food addictions um, or your food behaviors that have negative consequences, right? You got to understand is that it's going to be a lifelong thing, basically. It's going to be a lifelong thing. And these things that are more close to those root needs it's, it's for life basically you're gonna have right. to have a system for it or it's going to your or you're going to be to walk whatever line society has written for you basically 
Are we talking about candy here? Because that's like my first thought. That's and, first uh, thought. I was thinking of a food example. Okay, it, so candy. Like, Candy's good. So candy is a little bit externally looked down upon societally, but not a lot. Like we have Halloween and all that kind of stuff. It's looked down upon in the 20%. It's looked up upon in the 80%, I feel. Everyone well, eats candy every day. Yeah, no, but I uh, see people eat candy and like I know they're think one part of them is thinking, do I really need to eat this candy? Most people right. have that little they, yeah. like their actions speak louder than their words because their actions <laughs> say otherwise. Candy's so so big, like I was talking about coffee earlier, like it's just so there in society that everyone knows that candy, you shouldn't be eating a bunch of candy. Right. Now, that's the thing, though, but a bunch, right? So we don't need to have a bunch of candy. But what is a bunch? Is a it's all on a time scale, right? Like, if I have a bunch of candy, one time in my life, is that a big deal? To me, maybe. Probably not. But for the most part, no. So it's all about how many times are we doing it? Like you got to do the math, basically. And until you do the math, you're not really going to be aware of it. Right. But you don't have to do the math that often. Kind of got it. I don't know. Most people change every five years with the, with a lot of their behavior. Well, every five years. Yeah. Basically. Well, but if, if you're in a change cycle, like if you're in a fat, if you're follow along with us and you do some of the things that we do, then you would know that all the year we're planning our food. Like, so we've set systems up to, because at early ages, we realized that food is both, at least for me, one of my favorite things to do in the world, because obviously it's the top four F's of motivation, but it's also such an important, like I will overeat. I tend to overeat and have a, a lot of these tendencies and I have to think about all these things all the time. And but it gets deep. It's okay. So we could get deep with it too. For example, sure. like why is that motivation not being met? Why do you feel what's not being met? And why is it going off into the, so say, let's assume somebody's having too much candy, right? Yeah. Too much candy too often. Basically a high amount and a high frequency. Yes. So what need is not being met basically? And I actually had a client recently, this is, this is rare. Okay. So think that you can do this and all of a sudden it's going to work. Okay. But every once in a while you can throw like a tool at someone and it's the right tool. Okay. Um, <clears throat> he was eating a bunch of junk food. It was mostly things like, uh, running the McDonald's or picking up stuff. Oh, that was fast food. Um, and I found in the past that people with that kind of behavior and other patterns I had seen him get into um, with like chips and stuff like that, that he may not be getting like his sodium needs met at the right time, basically. And he likes to be active. And so there's all these other things. And it just made me think of that. So I was like, okay, this is an easy experiment to do. Um, And he was open to it. And so he just started taking some iodized sea salt, in water in the morning, like a quarter teaspoon in the morning. And his junk food cravings dramatically went down and he lost like 15 pounds in three months. Now, he also started working out more as well, but he didn't feel, he didn't, he just forgot to eat the junk food when he would normally eat it because he wasn't getting that signal from his body. Because at the beginning of the day for him, and for most people, your cortisol spikes in the morning 
And one of the things that that cortisol spike, uh, one of the, some of the nutrients that that cortisol spike requires to, to get the organs to pump and to get the muscles to go and all that kind of stuff. And the results of that cortisol spike downstream on the nutrient requirements for your body is, is having adequate electrolytes. Okay. And if you don't have them early in the morning, you're basically in the tube early and then you take coffee or something like that. And it tells you, you're not tired. Forget about that. You don't have to think, you don't have to listen to that until these caffeine effects wear off. Okay. Right. We got good half-life today because you drank 20 ounces. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That makes complete sense. Okay. So what need isn't being met? Uh, there's a great psychologist uh, that I love. His name is Gabor Mate. And this is how he addresses all addiction. And this is how he gets into really awkward conversations a lot on podcasts as well, basically. Because you start talking about addiction and people I have met has talked to me about some kind of... I I either talk to me about some kind of addiction at some point or I'm a, I'm quite sure they had an addiction that just maybe they weren't talking about. Like everybody has experienced addiction at some point. A negative or a negative behavior, a behavior pattern that breeds negative results that they wanted to stop but had a hard time. And how many of those people is food involved with it? In our current society, probably a bunch. Probably a lot. Like maybe not all. Okay, so say there's 70% of the U.S. is overweight and obese, okay? I would say not all overweight and obese people have a addictive behavior pattern with food, okay? Right. But those other 30% of people could as well. So it's right. probably close to that 70%. It probably, it's at least 70%, I would say. Okay, so we are talking on the side of that person not having like an addictive uh, propensity, you said, right? right? And now let's throw in something that you haven't even mentioned that I think is super important. And that is how food is being manufactured these days to elicit those responses that you're talking about. Because what, how you explained the body's response to not getting enough sodium in the morning and your cortisol spiking, I think those reactions are what our brain is telling us like that addiction is. Like that like, boom, that feeling that you have in the morning when you don't have that coffee or whatever, like it, it's like that's that signal. And go ahead. Okay, so just take that analogy, okay? And okay, sometimes your body is not getting its hormonal needs met, right? Okay, like maybe you're not producing certain hormones for whatever reason. Uh, maybe you're overproducing certain hormones. So maybe you're not getting, a lot of people aren't getting their social me needs met. People who live mm -hmm. the longest, a lot of times have their social needs met. And our longevity scores are not looking good lately, <laughs> basically. Um, so there's a lot of different categories of what needs are not being met. And then right. there's a lot of different ways to meet those needs with replacements, basically. And I think a lot of this actually, this is actually the most successful strategy for dealing with addiction, I would say. And that's replacement. And okay. I think the problem that people have is sometimes they'll replace things with 
replacements that aren't very good. And it's hard to know if it is going to be a good replacement until you try it, you know? Right. And maybe it's hard to be educated about it because maybe there's not a lot of really good literature about it because not a lot of people like to talk about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> because there's a lot of money going into food and stuff like that right now. Because there's and, a lot and... of things that reinforce addictive, negative, addictive, negative behavioral patterns in terms of our chronic or our long-term health right now. We have a lot of chronic diseases. We don't have a lot of acute diseases. So we've gotten good at the acute, uh, the weird things that like kill people in one generation kind of thing. Right. And we've gotten really good at that, but we haven't figured out like the multi-generational things yet. And, the, and that's why you start to see more and more chronic things pop up, basically. I don't think that there'll ever be a solution to addiction or anything like that, because that's what we're talking about today. There is no exact like you're addicted or not addicted. It can be in the sense of physical addiction, but even still, I would still say that that's on a scale. Like you're, maybe you are super addicted, like you're, what we're saying as super addicted, maybe you're 90% addicted to something. And then right. when, if you completely stop doing that thing, you might have a 15% addiction or something like that to that same thing, even though you're not doing it at all. And, and so like those types of, I don't know, like I, I know, we're well, the physical about the addiction, thing. the physical addiction research, I would say, is trending in the direction of very much circumstantial on the mental status of the addictee. Okay. So, yeah, if the mental sense. status of the addictee is in a stable place, mm -hmm. and you work on the addictive pattern, or Okay, say, have you ever heard of the Vietnam veterans that came back from the war that were um, hooked on opioids, supposedly? Uh, yes, I've heard a little bit about that. Okay, so they go and they fight in a unpopular war and they get addicted to opioids when they're out there. I'm butchering this probably a little bit, but they go back home and... The ones who go back to stable home environments, I want to say five times, maybe even 10 times, it's a drastic number, more likely to quit, like to just stop eventually with the opioids and not have that issue. And the ones who go to back to a not stable environment continue to have an issue with the opioids. So... I'm sure there's a physical part to it, right? but that there's been, there's doctor, do you know about Dr. Carl Hart? Yes. Yes. Okay. I've seen so a couple he, of interviews with him. He's had some great interviews. He's got some great books out and it's a lot of them are about how people talk about addiction and how people talk about drugs and whatnot. And right. he's shown that a lot of these physical addictions can be, People can get on drugs and get off drugs, basically, with a lot less of the physical issues that the current story has been telling us, I would say. You know, if there's a lot of reefer madness, basically, going on with a lot of drugs, honestly, right. nowadays. And it's not to downplay how those behaviors and drugs and, and when say the behaviors and the environment make people's lives and how hard it is and 
I'm not trying to downplay that at all. I'm just saying that when we look at this with less, I don't know, less dramatic viewpoint and just a, what is this doing in these environments with these factors and how do we improve it? Then there's a lot that we can do better when it comes to getting people off drugs and getting people off of addictive behaviors and improving like healthy behavior patterns. Yeah, dude, I love it. I know there's, I know there's a lot into it and I've seen some interviews with him and, and I believe it. And I think that negative stigma has a lot to do with it. Well, let's take something like easy and let's take cannabis. I mean, how much did we hear when we were younger? Okay, first off, like in the 50s and 60s you know, with re- or 30s or whatever with Reefer Madness. Yes, it's so addictive. But then like when we were younger, you would hear that, oh, it's not physically addictive, but it's mentally addictive. Right. Like you, you hear things like that. And now that it's basically legalized almost everywhere, like the perception of it is so different. If you talk about it uh, when you were 15, when you were 18 years old and you're like hiding somewhere, like doing cannabis and like, it's like this thing, like it really, it, it puts all these negative uh, like things on it. And then people have these negative experiences with it. Uh, there's jail, there's all this stuff that what is revolved around it. And when it comes down to it, and that's not even going into the addiction part, right? Uh, and when you ask somebody who like, hey, does that, per- if you go up to two people and you, one person is a non-cannabis smoker and one person is a cannabis smoker, you're almost always going to know. So what is mm-hmm. you're you'll know if you're a cannabis smoker, but if you're not a cannabis smoker, you won't. I don't think. Oh, that's in, that's intriguing. That's in, uh, I think okay. other cannabis smokers can find other cannabis. I think other ever your taste in, in uh, recreational drugs are. I think you can find other people more easily. That's true. So what my point I was trying to get at sorry. was that. Sorry. If, Oh, no, it's fine. No, because that's a good point. Uh, perspective is everything. And uh, oftentimes you don't see other people's perspectives. But but what kind of what I was getting at is that people outside of cannabis see things so much differently. And so yeah. with that, that, that Dr. Hart, I know he he experiences things and he tries things. I try. I trained a psychiatrist for three years, uh, and we had so many cool conversations, right, about drugs and all that kind of stuff. And this person never drank alcohol, did tobacco, smoked cannabis, like old school straight edge. But a psychiatrist, and so knows everything about the chemicals of all these things and how it supposedly is going to react and whatnot. So they have such a different perspective on somebody who maybe has, I'm just saying as an example, done a line of Coke or something like that. If you do that and then you feel what that feels like to, are you withdrawing from that? Are you not withdrawing from that? If you go into it with the mindset of, hey, I'm not going to get addicted to it, but I know that my body is going to want to need something, then those are different mindsets than say like, the doctor who has never done something like that and just knows what it's going to do to your body and knows the negative side effects, but doesn't know the true experience of 
coming out of withdrawal or going like becoming quote unquote addicted to something. I think those things have a big play in your future experiences with addiction. So if you do become addicted to something younger, then when you go and say another substance comes your way or food or we haven't even gotten into exercise and stuff, and I don't even think we're going to get into that today, but you notice these things that you're going to get on board with. And, and so does addiction become a completely physical thing or does it become this just the, another part of life that you have to add tools to your life and structures to your life to get around these things? Um, because experience has such a big part, I think, to do with all with addiction and just life in general. Yeah. So the, the whole replacement as the best strategy, most of the, as the most successful strategy, it's not the only strategy. Like abstinence does work sometimes for some, I'm saying it doesn't. Um, it's just, if I'm going to make a bet on who's going to do better with their behavior change and I see people doing different things and that one's doing replacement, then I'm going to guess them. And the reason I say that is because, so you need good replacement strategies, okay? Which means you need access to good replacement strategies sometimes. This is why like access to healthcare is really useful and, and such a big topic for people, right? You need access to quality food. You need access to a quality workout environment. Um, and some people just don't have the access, honestly. Um, and you can be, but you can be, there are creative things out there. And that's one of the things with, reasons why I think it's so useful to get internet out to people, honestly, is so you can have access to fig to being more creative with how you get your resources for things, right? You need that access. And then you also need to be in a mode of operation that is conducive to you getting in a good behavior. And that's super, that's multidimensional, right? Yeah. Like, when I say those Vietnam veterans went back to a stable home environment, like I say that because that's the shortest way to explain what that environment looked like. But that's a lot of things, right? What's a stable home environment look like? That's a whole other podcast. Yeah. Know? Basically. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. yeah. It's not something that needs to be taken lightly for sure. And I like the example of someone who's done something and been in that negative routine for example, being a mentor, I really like that a lot. And I think we need more of that. Honestly, I don't think we need, I think we got enough book people in the books. And, and so when you talk about the psychologists, I'm not saying it's not that they can't do a good job. Okay. But if they want to be on the edge of the field, working on the problems of today. Okay. Like the new problems, the things that are up there in terms of the trends that we're having, right? Do they have to have experience. They have to have both. Both is not, I mean, to be really good in your field, you got to be well-rounded. You can be really good in, with a specific part of the population, though, and never really have to be any better as well, though. You can have that that's like the the roof on the car you know the sunroof on the car that he never opens or you could be the personal trainer who com just comes out of college like a yeah. ripped athlete and ripped athlete, never exactly 
never experienced fat loss before in your life. And like you, right. you get a, saw a client who needs to lose 200 pounds and are have- you eating so much, just eat less. <laughs> yeah. Listen, yeah, a hundred percent. I get that, man. Yeah. Okay, man, we talked about a lot and I don't know if we went anywhere with it, but I think we had some good nuggets. Do we, yeah. is there yeah. some, like some important things that you want to like end with uh, here? I know that we can have some more episodes on this, but like one or two things. Yeah. So if you're a lot of times I would assume people would listen to this podcast if they're trying to figure out a way to deal with a negative behavior pattern. Right. And it's probably going to be something like exercise or nutrition or maybe sleep. For example, like getting into their sleep routine or stress, for example, because that's a lot of time what personal trainers and coaches deal with. And I think it's really useful um, and the, the kind of things you can do to know the things you can do now, basically. And, but taking all that into context about what we talked about today, I would say the things you can do now is, oh, let me get set up here, is you can look for good resources or gather good resources okay for those replacements okay and you can maybe even write down or just assess in some way what in your environment is reminding you to do those behavior patterns and is there anything you can do to make that a little bit less remindery basically because i think the environment's going to affect you more most of the time honestly then and, and we're finding this more and more in behavioral research it's like right now either that or we just weren't look we weren't finding it we weren't looking in the right places in the past basically but there's a lot of environmental cues that are happening with people nowadays that are just pushing you down that path. And if you can just a little like turn in that path and a little kink in that path, oh, you can get some big changes. And uh, I think that's a really good place to start. So start there. Start with the environments. And uh, that's what I was gonna say too. My, my biggest thing I think for addiction or my biggest lesson for everybody or that I've learned is setting up your systems, uh, which is the environmental thing, uh, a mm -hmm. little bit that you're talking about. And, and for me, you know, some of my biggest things are bad food. If you're gonna, if you know that you want to eat some candy, then cool, make that happen. But don't go to the store and buy a bag of 50 pieces of candy, go to the store, buy one piece, buy that piece of candy that you're going to eat for that day or for that meal. And that's the only thing you buy and you go back home and you eat it and, and you just make little rules like that. Quote unquote systems is what I call them is that you just don't, you don't systems go to the, for your environment systems for system, your environment. Yep. Systems because, for yeah. your environment. Cause some people, um, for example, might have to add an extra step to that system, which would be like, don't go to the grocery store hungry. Right. Or else I'm yep. always going to get that giant bag. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. Right? But you don't know until you try that first thing, maybe. So that's a good point is that like, as soon as you set up your system, you'll probably have to iterate that system a few times, actually, probably for the rest of your life. That's why we have this podcast called Fit Quest because 
we're always have to change just a little bit. Uh, and I think changing these systems and being aware of your systems uh, and first being aware of these potential addictions are all the most important thing uh, for you to start down this path to to change from that perspective of addiction being I'm addicted or I'm not addicted to being, oh, today I'm less likely to become addicted and tomorrow I might be more likely to become addictive and I just need to set my systems up to uh, give me the best shot. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. That's why, that's why we're called Vivo training systems as well. Oh, I love Yeah. That's what I figured. (laughs) All right, you guys, thank you for listening. Hope that made some kind of sense. All right. Thanks guys. Good talking to you, Mike. You're sick.